Thanks very much, Jenna, for reading those verses to us. Please keep the Bibles open there on page 1009. Let me have my welcome to Rosie. It's great to see you all here. A particular warm welcome if this is your uh, first time with us. If you're a guest with us today, it's great to have you here. And let me pray for us and then we'll have a look at this part of Mark's Gospel together. Father God, we ask that as we come to your word now, that our hearts would not be hardened to what you want to say to us. Please, by your Spirit, would you show us uh, who Jesus Christ really is and what it means to follow him uh, today and uh, full implications of this for our lives. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Okay, so we have two of the most uh, well-known miracles in the life of Jesus Christ today. The feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on the water. Two very famous stories. You've heard them in Sunday school or if you're not used to Coming to church growing up, probably you were doing them at primary school in RE lessons, walking on water as part of the English language when someone does something um, extraordinary. Um, and yet, despite how well known they are and how famous um, they are, they are arguably some of the most um, misunderstood uh, miracles and events in the life of Jesus Christ. I remember one of my teachers saying that the feeding of the 5,000. Um, it's no more than a moral lesson about how we need to share our food and share our packed lunches with others. Um, that Jesus walking on the water, he didn't really walk on water, it was very cold in the sea, apparently it was actually ice, and he was walking across it, or perhaps it was a sandbar, so it, it looked like he was walking on water, it wasn't actually the case. Lots of misunderstanding to what really is going on here, despite how well-known and famous these miracles are. And did you notice that even the disciples themselves did not understand the significance of these miracles. Just glance down at verse 52. So the disciples are completely amazed after Jesus walked on water. That's they're astonished. They don't know what's going on. And then verse 52. Why? For they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hard. There is something very significant about the meaning of the feeding of the 5,000. Did you know that this is the only one of Jesus' miracles that is recorded in all four Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in this particular Gospel, Mark's Gospel, the author Mark will pick up again on the feeding of the 5,000 in chapter 8, just before Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ. And Mark will pick up on it again in chapter 14, the Lord's Supper, and Jesus' imminent death. In other words, if you want to truly understand what Christianity is about, who Jesus really is, what he really came to do, what it really means to follow him today, then we've got to understand what is going on with this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And it is so easy to get it wrong. The disciples got it wrong. They've been following Jesus for over a year now. We can get it wrong too. And if you're someone here looking into Christian things, perhaps you've been with us for a while here at Inspire St. James, you're attracted by what we see in the church family, you're intrigued by what you're hearing from the sermons each week, but you're wondering what's at the heart of it all, what is it all about? Well, we're going to find out with these two incredible miracles and what they show us about the person of Jesus Christ. So three things we're going to see. We don't have a screen today, so if you want to follow along, some people like to, there's three points on the inside of your service sheet. First thing we're going to see is the divine compassion of Jesus Christ. And the divine compassion of Jesus Christ. 
Now, it's tempting to jump straight into verse 34, very much the key verse of this section where we're told explicitly about Jesus' compassion on the crowd. But let's not miss Jesus' compassion implicitly in the first two verses in the way he cares for his disciples. Just glance now at verse 30. The apostles gathered round Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. That is all they had done and taught from this first mission trip they'd been on that Jesus sent them out on early on in chapter 6. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Isn't that a wonderful little detail, a wonderful little insight into the heart of Jesus Christ? His disciples are tired, his disciples are hungry, they need rest. He says, come with me and get some rest. For every one of Jesus' disciples today, Jesus knows our need, sees our need, wants to meet our need. And ultimately, all our spiritual needs are met in him. Spending time with him. I'm not sure how you're feeling right now, this time of year. Perhaps you're exhausted. The end of three months of hard work in the office, term time. Maybe feeling other people don't really know what's going on in your life and how you're feeling. Jesus always sees how you're going. Jesus sees your need. Jesus knows. Jesus understands. And by all means, take a rest. Get some sleep. Go to bed early. Important things. But don't forget to spend time with Jesus. And pour out your concerns to him. And ask him for his sustaining grace. Do you hear his command? Come with me. To a quiet place, by yourself, get some rest. Are you feeling overwhelmed by everything you've got to do in the run up to Christmas? Jesus knows. Jesus understands. By all means, plan to get well all of the turkey that can Christmas tree. But don't forget to spend time with Jesus. Presenting every request to him, seeking his peace that transcends understanding. Peace amidst the busyness, amidst the chaos. Come with me, by yourself, to a quiet place, get some rest. True rest, spiritual rest, is found in him. There is lots going on in the church this month. Yesterday, leaf day, look at it, brilliant. Thank you to all those who helped out. Saturday coming, help portrait. A plethora of carol services. Many of you have signed up to serve, to welcome, to cook, to encourage, to evangelize, to tidy up, and all the rest of the things. Wonderful things. So many things to be doing for Jesus this season. Do not forget to spend time with him. Or you will burn out. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Jesus knows. Jesus' compassion on his disciples. Not just on the disciples, on the crowds too. Because in verse 32, we read, So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Do you see, Jesus doesn't just have compassion on his own, his own twelve, his own disciples. 
He has compassion on everyone. We're told this is a large crowd. We're told in verse 44 there were 5,000 men. Add the women, add the children. Is this 10,000 people? Jesus has compassion on every single one of them. Whatever their background, wherever they're coming from spiritually, whether they're atheist, agnostic, intrigued by Jesus, just going along for the ride, believing in him, he has compassion on every single one of them. Why? Because he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. What an evocative phrase. What's it mean to be a sheep and not have a shepherd? That is an incredibly dangerous position to be in. If you are a sheep and you don't have a shepherd, what do you do? You get lost. You go astray. In the worst case scenario, you die. Jesus has compassion on the crowd. He has compassion on people today who are like sheep without a shepherd. I remember getting lost once as a child, going shopping with mum and my sister. And we used to do that a lot at the weekends. Just getting stuff that we needed. Mum would always say to me, stay close by me, don't run off. So what do they do? I'd run off. Apparently I was in Marks and Spencer's once and they used to like to run off when I was five or six and hide in the clothes rails behind the clothes. And they'd walk past, I'd jump out and go, ooh, so you know. Mum said, stay close. I didn't. I ran off. They walked past, or so I thought. I jumped out. Boom! It wasn't my mum, it was someone else's mum. They'd gone off somewhere else. I got lost. I was panicked, I didn't know what to do. This kind lady saw me, realised what had happened, stayed with me until I was reunited with my mum and my sister. An announcement came over the PA, Mark Jackson, your mother is, uh, no, Mark Jackson is waiting for his mother at the checkout, which I thought was a nice way of doing it, even though I was being disobedient to running off. But anyhow, I was so thankful for this lady who saw me in my knee, and I was in tears, and I lost my mum, and she came to me and looked out for me, and look right away, she had this story sitting on every single one of us. He sees us as sheep without a shepherd. And look, this might be tough for some of us to hear, that is because all of us by nature are lost when it comes to God. We are like sheep, spiritually speaking. We all like sheep have gone astray, the prophet Isaiah says. Each one has turned to his own way. It's what we all do by nature. It is our fault that we have got lost when it comes to God. But does Jesus ignore us? Does he serves you right? No. He has compassion on us. And he wants to come and find us. So that's the first thing to see, the divine compassion of Jesus Christ. And that brings us on to our second point. And the way he acts out of this compassion and wants to be a shepherd to us, a divine shepherd. Teach us, feed us, satisfy us. Look at the end of verse 34. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Sir, he fed them. Sir, he clothed them. Sir, he gave them a financial handout. It doesn't say that, does it? It says, sir, he began teaching them many things. It is so easy just to wash over this phrase because we're so excited to get to the feeding of the 5,000. We mustn't skip over this phrase because this is the first thing Jesus does as he sees people in a crowd as sheep without the shepherd. He has compassion on them. He's moved with his gut to do something. And what's he do? He teaches them. Now, we have seen this in Mark's Gospel a couple of times already. Do you remember chapter 1 when all the sick are coming trying to find him? And Jesus says to the disciples, No, we must go on to another village, and I must preach there also. That is why I have come. 
Chapter 2, the paralytic. You can't walk. What's Jesus said? Son, your sins are forgiven. He does heal him, don't get me wrong. He'll feed the 5,000. But where's the priority? What's the first thing? He teaches them. Many things about the reality of sin and the fact that we are all lost by nature and we are sheep without a shepherd. But what's the first thing Jesus says in Mark's gospel? The time has come, the kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe the good news. That's what he's teaching them. The kingdom of God is at hand, forgiveness of sins. Relationship with God restored. That is what they need to hear, first and foremost. And actually it's into that context that we then get the feeding of the 5,000, which is what, like, one large sermon illustration on this point. Bread. Do you know how significant bread was to the Jewish people? We probably don't. I have a little game for you here, just to make this point. If I was to show you this, what would you say? McDonald's. Very good. If I was to show you this, what would you say? Nike. Very good. If I was to show you this, what would you say? Hovis. Bread. Hovis, they are. Good <laughs> you show this to the Jewish people, you show them a loaf of bread. And just like you instantaneously said McDonald's for the M and Nike for the tick, you show them bread straight like that, they'd say Exodus. When God rescued us, rescued his people from slavery in Egypt, and you know what he did? He fed us with bread from heaven, bread miraculously, from manna from heaven, for 40 years. Can you imagine that? Being hungry in the wilderness every day, having no food, and God provides it for you miraculously from heaven. Not just that, God commands Moses to take an omer, a small measure of bread, this manna, put it in a golden jar, you read about this in Exodus, and place it with the Ten Commandments in the Ark of the Covenant, so that God's people would know with a symbol of bread just how important it was. For generations to come, they would know this is our God who saves, who rescues us, a God who provides, a God who feeds us. And later on, the prophets would say, you know what, another Exodus is coming, a greater Exodus, a new shepherd is coming, a greater shepherd. And here is Jesus Christ now, in green pastures, talking about sheep without a shepherd. And what's he doing? He's miraculously feeding people with bread. Although it's not coming from heaven now, it's coming from his own hands. So what do you think Jesus Christ is saying about himself here? The rescue is here. From sin, Relationship with God restored. The feeding of the 5,000 is not some moral lesson about how we need to share our food with others. This is about God himself being here. God's divine shepherd who has compassion on every human being. John Paul Sartre, the famous atheist, once said, that God does not exist, I cannot deny. That my whole being cries out for God, I cannot forget. Let me say that again, an atheist, existentialist philosopher, that God does not exist, I cannot deny. That my whole being cries out for God, I cannot forget. 
we might not be aware of the Old Testament context here, maybe one or two of you here, you know, whether you believe in God or not, believe in God or not, we are all very much aware of the deep hunger in every human heart and in our heart to know why we are here, where have we come from, where are we going, what is the meaning to life. And no matter how much we try and satisfy that hunger with success or sex or power or popularity or friendships or family, nothing ever satisfies. And Jesus is saying that is because first and foremost, spiritually speaking, we are lost, we are like sheep without a shepherd. And he has compassion on us. And he has come for us. And he is saying, I am the divine shepherd that each of you need. In verse 42 we are told that they all ate and were satisfied. Another wonderful little detail Mark just includes here because this is what Jesus Christ brings. To everyone who turns to him in repentance and faith. Satisfaction. Meaning, purpose, direction to our lives. Can I ask, is Jesus Christ your shepherd? And if he is, will we stop looking for satisfaction anywhere else? Let him feed you with his teaching. True satisfaction is only found in a deepening relationship with him. The divine shepherd. Thirdly, the divine presence of Jesus. What's it mean to have Jesus in your life all the time? Verse 45. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. Next, the word immediately there ties two miracles closely together in the narrative. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. He may be the Son of God, he still needs to pray, asking God for all the strength to stay on mission, to stay on focus on his path to the cross. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Now, you might find it a bit strange that Jesus was going to pass by them you actually might find it a bit strange that he's walking on the water in the first place, but let's keep with the passing by them first. Why does he do that? Why does he not just walk straight to them? Well, look, we've just seen from that word immediately, these two miracles are tightly um, tied together. And we've just seen the old, the old Testament context here of Exodus. What is another very famous incident in the Exodus? The Lord showing Moses his glory. And it being described as the Lord passing by him. Let me read out one of the verses. From Exodus 33, this is verse 21. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, There is a place near me where you can stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Now you can see the connection here, the Lord passing by, but do you see the difference? Moses could only see the Lord's back. He must not see the Lord's face. The holy God is sinful people. If he saw one, he would die. And now here is Jesus passing by the disciples. What's the difference? They get to see his face. God in human form, God in flesh, and they can look straight at him. Because Jesus has come to deal with the problem of sin and restore humanity's relationship with God. Now, as for the walking on water, well, listen to this from Job chapter 9. God alone stretches out the heavens, and God alone treads on the waves of the sea. He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. Job says, when he passes me, I cannot see him. When he goes by, I cannot perceive him. Again, you can see the connection. God alone can walk on water. But do you see the difference? God could, sorry, Job could not see God as he passed by. Job could not see him in the world. But now here is Jesus Christ walking on water and the disciples get to see him face to face. And the point is obvious. Here is God himself. Here is God in human form. God in the flesh with his disciples. And if you're a bit unpersuaded by these Old Testament allusions, well there's one that absolutely nails it. It's not an allusion, it's a direct quote. In verse 50, as Jesus responds, he says, Immediately he spoke to his disciples and said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And it is I, ego me. An exact phrase. I am the exact phrase of the Lord Jesus again in the book of Exodus, chapter 3, to Moses. The Lord said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now you put this all together, and what are we seeing? We are seeing here from the person of Jesus Christ his compassion, which is no ordinary compassion. The word used for compassion here is used only for Jesus in the whole of the New Testament. This is a unique compassion. This is a divine compassion. As we see into Jesus' heart, we are seeing into God's heart. And the shepherding of Jesus, it's no ordinary shepherding. Yes, he's fully human, but it's the way he feeds people, 5,000 people or more, with the women and children, just five breads and two loaves. This teaching, it's no ordinary teaching, it's a divine teaching. A divine shepherding. Jesus' presence with the disciples. This is no ordinary presence. This is God himself, a divine presence with his disciples, with his people. And so Jesus says to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Right now, um, Jacob, our fourth child, is one and a half years old, so he's very mobile. And he's sometimes walking around the church with legs carrying him everywhere. He's not yet old enough to realise the danger he can get into, like falling down the stairs at the front or rolling down the ramp into church. And so what do I do? I keep careful watch of him. And I keep close by him. And I don't let him out of my sight. And so when he does get close, as sometimes he does, I'm there to pick him up and grab him. And of course I do. He's my son. I love him. How much more so then when it comes to God who's in control of all things? 
and the way he looks after his own people. You know, sometimes I do most sight of Jacob in church. And yet Jesus Christ never loses sight of us. Take courage. Do not know who I am. It is I, the great I am of the Old Testament, the Lord himself. Don't be afraid. Whatever you are facing right now, I don't know what it is. Be assured, he is with you. He sees you just as he sees the disciples here straining at the oars, when he's up on the mountainside praying, and comes to them and helps them out. He is always with us, even in difficult times. Did you notice? Jesus commands the disciples to get into the boat. And still the storm comes, and still they are straining at the oars. He is always with us. In good times and difficult times, it's often in the difficult times actually that he reveals himself more to us as he's doing with the disciples here. Now, what is it that you're afraid of? We all have fears. I have fears. What is it right now? Your health, a relationship, a job? Whatever it is, you don't think Jesus Christ cannot handle it? If you can feed 5,000 men with the bread and lives, if you can walk on water like a pavement, you don't think you can handle your scenario? Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Do you still doubt it? Because we all have doubts, don't we? At one time or another. And the disciples doubt it. They don't understand. When we saw it at the start in verse 52. But Jesus is patient with his disciples, like he's patient with us. And come chapter 8, he's teaching them again about the loaves and who he really is. And come chapter 14, he's teaching them again about the loaves about his imminent death, the Lord's Supper. Yet again, he will take bread. Yet again, he will give thanks for that bread. And yet again, he will break that bread. Although now, the bread is referring to his own body. What does it cost Jesus to deal with our sin? What does it cost Jesus to restore our relationship with his Father? It costs him his own life. So no one who's up a mountainside praying he knows what it's going to cost him. And he needs all the Father's strength and all the Father's grace to not be distracted from the cross, but give up his life for you and for me and to die for our sin so our relationship with God can be restored. Do you see? It is for you personally. His love for you, his presence with you, this compassion, this shepherding, he is with you right now. He will be with you through this week as you trust in him. Take courage. It is I, says Jesus. Do not be afraid. Let me pray that for us now. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much indeed for these two spectacular miracles. The feeling the five thousand Jesus walking on water, and thanks for showing us that all the Old Testament illusion and background, the true significance of what is going on here, who Jesus really is. This man of divine compassion, divine shepherd, offering divine presence with every single person who trusts and follows him. If we've not done that, please would you move our hearts to start following Jesus. And for those of us who do, please would be reassured with the reality, even if we can't see him, that he truly is with us. And those words to the disciples are words to us today. Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Help us with that this week, we ask for Jesus' sake. Amen.